Good morning, everyone. I'm Dr. Kate White. I am a complex family planner here at BMC and the vice chair of academics. And I am very excited to bring you this presentation this morning. We have done a talk on an update in contraception relatively recently, but leadership in family planning realized that the world of reproductive health has changed quite dramatically since our last presentation on the subject about a year and a half ago. So we wanted to bring you a series of topics that honestly, by all rights, could be grand rounds on their own, but we figure that most people outside of Beacon don't really want monthly family planning grand rounds. So we sort of had to limit ourselves to covering what we think are the most essential and up-to-date things that we can bring you. And I also wanted to say that it's, while it's important to bring you what's new, I think it's also important to explain why things work as they do. So today isn't just a carousel of look at here, look at here, and there's new here and new there, but trying to understand the why that these things are out there, are happening, and how they may be contributing to the health of our patients. So with that, let's get into updates in reproductive health. A few disclosures to start with. I receive research support through BMC from Bayer, Merck, and EvoFem, and I will discuss a couple of unlabeled uses of a commercial product. I'll be talking about mifepristone use up to 12 weeks gestation and the 52 milligram levonorgestrel IUDs for emergency contraception. It is not an easy time to be in reproductive health care in this country. Of course, it's even worse to be a pregnancy-capable person in a growing number of states in this country. And what used to be unthinkable ideas are now already fact or are looming as distinct possibilities in the future. And this is just the background for what is already a really tough job for clinicians of all specialties, how incredibly busy we are, what it takes to get through the day, what it takes to get through the charts at the end of the day. And it is really difficult to then keep up with whatever is new in any of the subspecialties in our field. Honestly, if it wasn't for my fellows, all of my journals would be collecting dust in some guilt-ridden corner of my office. And so we want to use the benefit of having a complex family planning division here to bring the learning to you. So today's topics, I honestly, when I prepared this talk, had probably enough again for at least two grand rounds, if not three. And so what we're going to cover today is sort of a contraception update, talking about new and newish pills, with talking about an over-the-counter option potentially coming soon, what's new and newish about emergency contraception, and how to know when to stop contraception for a reason other than trying to conceive. We're also going to give a bit of an abortion update, talking about ROGAM recommendations that are changing, medication abortion changes, as well as talking about self-managed abortion. And hopefully I'll leave enough time for questions at the end. So let's start with contraception. So I want to talk about one of the most innovative products that come out on the market in terms of what is new in a birth control pill. Nextellus was approved in 2021. It is a gisperinone pill like in Yaz and Slind, and it has a novel estrogen called Estatrol, which may sort of make you think about your training, like Estatrol, I feel like I've heard of that before. Estatrol is the estrogen that circulates in high levels between the pregnant person and the fetus during pregnancy, super high levels, and then it plummets after delivery, never to be seen again. It's a bit of a mystery why that estrogen works in that way, um, but maybe we'll be able to figure that out when we think about how this works. So it's a combined OC with 24-4 dosing. And estrotrol, as I said, as opposed to synthetic E2 or ethanol estradiol, which is what's in all other combined methods. So for the cell bio nerds among us, the mechanism that makes it different is that it activates the nuclear estrogen receptor alpha, whereas it antagonizes the membrane 
estrogen receptor alpha, where other contraceptive estrogens bind widely to both. So it's sort of selective, which means in theory, tissues that utilize the membrane receptor, again, that gets antagonized by Nextelis, like vascular tissue and breast tissue, may be less impacted by this birth control pill. So possibly that could relate to a lower risk of ETE or a lower risk of breast disease. Um, so these tissue selective properties are really exciting. Estetrol also has a long half-life and is minimally metabolized by the liver. The company would need a massive study to show that there's a lower risk of ETE or of breast cancer or breast disease with this pill. So it's not going to happen, but there's the hope behind this novel pill type. So when we look at effectiveness, PEARL index is a sign of how many people out of 100 essentially, given over a certain number of exposure cycles, how many people get pregnant. So Nextelis is right in there with other oral contraceptive pills. The overall PEARL index shows about 97, 98% efficacy. And for people with a BMI over 30, which is a group we're always worried about lower efficacy with, the PEARL index was very similar. So still 97% effective. When it comes to bleeding patterns, they're pretty similar to people who are not on contraceptive with lower rates of unscheduled bleeding, um, which tends to go down over time. And many people who were in the studies tolerated the bleeding patterns just fine, meaning very low withdrawal rates from the study because of bleeding irregularities, which is important because people tend to vote with their feet in studies. And if they don't like the patterns they see, they drop out. In terms of safety, the most significant adverse events reported in the trials were migraine headaches. And in talking about VTE risk, this is a lovely chart of what the likelihood of VTE is for pregnancy-capable people over a lifetime when not pregnant, if using a combined hormonal contraceptive product in pregnancy or postpartum. For Nextelis, the rate of VTE was 3.66 per 10,000, which puts it at the lower end of the COC user range and sort of right in the middle of people not using contraception. To be fair, Nextelis does carry the same warnings. There's no special indication from the FDA or the CDC about, oh, people with history of blood clots can totally use this product safely. That is not what I'm saying at all. But if you have patients who are particularly worried about blood clots, this may be a pill that's worth trying. The company does have a savings program for patients whose insurance does not cover it, where it can be as little as $25 for three months of use. And the information is available on the website. So speaking of innovations in pills, I also want to talk about a more forgiving progestin-only pill. This is Slind, which was approved by the FDA very recently as well. Another 24-4 dosing pill, so 24 active pills for inert pills. And Slind has gisperinone, again, the progestin found in Yaz, with a higher dose than what you see in the combined pills, which is usually three milligrams. But what's interesting is that Hormones interact very differently together. And gisperinone, along with estrogen products, act differently and have higher levels in the bloodstream than when used alone. So even though there's a higher level of gisperinone in SLIND alone, there's actually lower systemic exposure when it reaches steady state. Fun with pharmacokinetics. So what is really potentially great and new about SLIND is that it allows for a 24-hour missed pill window. So unlike traditional counseling around progestin-only pills, where we tell people you have a three-hour window, if you take it at three hours and one minute, it's like you didn't take the pill at all, you have to double up and use a backup method for a few days. Dosing of SLIND is much more like combined oral contraceptive pills, where we know that you don't have to take the pill at the same time every day. A study looked at the effect of deliberately delaying doses, four doses over a few cycles, 
What they found is that drosperinone, despite this 24-hour delay, still suppresses ovulation. And of course, we know that birth control pills work in a lot of ways, right? Thickening of cervical mucus changes the endometrial lining of the uterus, but ovulation is the primary way that it works. And ovulation does not happen when you delay your pills for 24 hours, which is really reassuring. So Pearl Index, very similar to the numbers that we saw with Nextelis and very similar to other oral contraceptive products. Um, so Pearl Index around 97, 98% effectiveness. And for patients 35 and under, who in theory have the highest fertility or highest fecundity, the Pearl Index is not very different. So it's not like young fertile people have a higher failure rate. It's still around 97% effective. Um, also importantly, the efficacy was similar in trials between normal and overweight and obese women, also very reassuring. Bleeding profile. Now, when we talk about progestin-only products, we know that one of the trade-offs of higher safety profile is it's usually a less desired bleeding profile. But some of the numbers with Slender are really reassuring. The amount of any bleeding or spotting decreases with time, and the median number of days of people bleeding or spotting also decreases over cycles. Um, unscheduled bleeding starts really high, as you would expect with any progestin product around 73%, but then drops down to less than half, where they have a median 21 days total over cycles two through nine, which is not very bad. Remember I talked earlier about discontinuation, people voting with their feet. Discontinuation of this product due to bleeding was really low, again, under 5%. So it means that whatever was happening with bleeding, it was really well tolerated. So think about the other patterns that we like to counsel patients about, especially with progestin, frequent bleeding that, oh my God, I'm bleeding all the time feeling decreases over time to only about 5% of patients after nine months of use. Prolonged bleeding, the other kind of thing that can drive patients crazy, also decreases greatly over time. And more importantly, amenorrhea, which you don't always get with progestin-only pills, increased in the trials to almost half of patients over time. So unlike patients who just have to gut out a lot of irregular bleeding with some progestin-only methods, this may be one that provides a lot better cycle control. And I have a graphic of a study of using dutrisparinone in adolescents, but the total number of bleeding and spotting days over 13 cycles. And you can see while you know a lot of adjustment issues in the first cycle, it really levels out pretty quickly to only approximately four days of bleeding plus spotting per month, which is a really fantastic pattern and one that is delightful in a progestin-only method. In terms of safety, there were no incidences of VTE in the clinical trials. It is contraindicated with the risk of hyperkalemia because of its antimicrobial corticoid activity. So for patients with renal or hepatic impairment, you want to be careful, or for our rare patients with adrenal insufficiency. Adverse events in these trials were also very similar to what we find in progestin-only contraception, acne, headache, abnormal bleeding. Importantly, SLIND is on the mass health formulary. You should not need prior authorization to uh, prescribe it for patients. And so certainly among family planners, I think it's become the go-to progestin-only pill. So for patients who don't want or can't take estrogen, they desire good cycle control and really appreciate that dosing window, SLIND may be perfect. And I teased in my opener about over-the-counter birth control pills, which is something that we have been talking about since I was a fellow, which is now over 20 years ago. At this point, you may have heard that there's an application out, which is raising new interest in this. We know that a lot of people face barriers to filling prescriptions for birth control pills. And it's people like our patients, people who are underinsured or uninsured and Spanish or non-English speaking, who are significantly more likely to report difficulties, which include cost barriers, challenges obtaining an appointment, 
getting to clinic, clinicians requiring clinic visits or requiring PAPs before they'll give birth control, or what I call holding birth control hostage to routine preventative maintenance for healthcare, or people who don't actually have a regular doctor at all. So um, a, the application from HRA Pharma is for the first novel progestin-only pill, which they've called O-Pill, very cute, probably for over-the-counter pill. And this is for a pill containing norgestrel. So for people of my generation, this is the progestin that's in low overall or overet. Um, those pills have about 30 mics of norgestrel versus the obviously higher dose in a progestin-only pill here. So the reason that the first application was for a progestin-only pill is that it does have fewer contraindications than a combined estrogen-progestin pill. And as you're trying to change a culture and change a mindset towards safety around birth control pills, a progestin-only pill seemed like a safer first way to go. This also may support more continuation of a method. A study was done with patients in Texas who live near the Texas-Mexico border. And these are patients who are able to obtain birth control pills over the counter, over the border in Mexico. What they found is that patients who can get their pills in Mexico without requiring a prescription have higher continuation rates than the other patients in Texas who did it the old fashioned way of actually going to their doctor for a birth control pill prescription. In addition to that exciting news, another company called Cadence is also working with the FDA to do a label shift. So they're the company that has Aless, the product with 20 mics of estrogen and levonorgestrel. They're trying to switch their product to new name, Xena, over-the-counter use. So the pack will be looking like this. So they've been working with the FDA to test new over-the-counter labels, to check the packaging with consumers. And then there'll be a really large study of nearly 2,000 users for sort of actual use trial. And then there'll be an FDA application. So we may be going from decades of not having over-the-counter access to potentially two pills before the interns finish residency, which is really exciting. Now, this may make some people nervous about, okay, well, maybe there's been a reason that pills have been behind the counter for so long. And there's a wonderful book called The Birth of the Pill that outlines the whole history of development, including the horrendous parts of development of the birth control pill. But they do talk about the safety concerns and the it's not natural concerns from the beginning that led to behind the counter over the, or by prescription only status. It didn't have anything to do with the safety of the modern birth control formulations. And as you can see, so ACOG actually supports over-the-counter access for all hormonal contraceptive methods, the pills, patches, rings, and even Depo-Provera for all ages. They note that the VTE risk with combined hormonal contraceptive products is small compared to the increased risk of VTE during pregnancy and postpartum. As you hear the family planners say incessantly, birth control is safer than pregnancy. Several studies have demonstrated that patients are quite capable of using self-screening tools to determine their eligibility for combined hormonal contraception use or any hormonal contraception use. And if they err, they tend to err on the side of ruling themselves out as opposed to saying, oh, I can take this when maybe in fact a provider would say they can't. ACOG also notes that pelvic and breast examinations, pap testing, STI screening are not required before initiating hormonal contraception use and should not be used as reasons to deny access to birth control. They also do though say that any plan to move any pill over the counter has to address cost issues because we know that with new products, 
often costs are really high. HRA Pharma has said that they are committed to affordability for their product. We heard at our keynote speaker at our PIC meeting on Saturday that they have done research about what the right price point is for pills to be over the counter. $20 seems to be the magic number that patients would like to spend between $15 and $20 a month. They can't get it covered by insurance. So we are hopeful that the final number would come in around that. So the FDA now has this application. The review process could take years, but we are really hoping that this administration would like a win in the reproductive health space and that maybe they will fast track approval because the science is irrefutable about the safety and efficacy. And this is a really long overdue development. Shifting now to emergency contraception, which is one of those areas that is great in theory and seems to be really hard to operationalize. Emergency contraception is not top of mind for patients. It's not top of mind for providers. Clinics often have a hard time um, with the systems of when patients request it. Patients don't always request it until it's an absolute emergency, which then can be difficult to get prescriptions in or patients in for procedures. So it's why I wanted to sort of bring it up to make it more top of mind for at least a little while following this grand rounds. So the day after our last presentation on updates and contraception, we had new evidence for hormonal IUDs for use as EC. Things are always changing. And so while using an IUD as emergency contraception is new, the types of IUD you can use have changed. So there was a randomized non-inferiority trial by our colleagues at the University of Utah, where they included participants who sought emergency contraception for at least one episode of unprotected intercourse. And a lot of patients had had much more than one episode within five days before presentation, and they agreed to be randomized to either the levonorgestrel 52 milligram IUD, they use both Mirena's and Liletta's in the study, or the copper IUD. So uh, props and cheers to the 600 plus women who said, it's okay, you can give me either IUD, since a lot of patients have a lot of strong preferences about which IUD they get. And what they were looking at, the primary outcome was a positive urine pregnancy test one month after IUD insertion. There were roughly 300 participants in each group. What they found is that the hormonal IUD group had one pregnancy, the copper IUD group had none. And because the study was set up as a non-inferiority trial, what they can conclude is that the Levo IUD is non-inferior. It's no worse than the copper IUD. I think one pregnancy out of 600 patients is pretty remarkable. And it really just reinforces the fact that the IUDs are 99% effective for patients for EC. So how do we counsel patients? We know that IUDs are equally effective for five days after unprotected intercourse. We suspect that they're effective longer, but right now the clinical practice is five days. And for patients who say, but I don't want an IUD as birth control, we can respond, that's okay. We can remove it with your next period, which might strike some people as not good use of resources. I would posit that any hormonal device is way cheaper than a pregnancy, whether it ends in miscarriage care, abortion care, or a pregnancy. So in terms of cost effectiveness, I think preventing an unplanned pregnancy is paramount. It's also the most effective option for patients with a BMI over 35, where the oral EC products just don't work as well. So for a patient who's obese, an IUD, even removed one month later, may be her one chance or their one chance to reduce, to prevent a pregnancy that cycle. So with the hormone IEDs, the ones that were studied were the higher dose products, Mirena and Laletta. So this has not been studied with Kylina or Skyla, the 19.5 and 13.5 milligram IEDs. We can't use 
those devices for this.